After the sermon, we will sing from Psalm 33, stanzas 1 and 6. Brothers and sisters, beloved congregation, where does faith come from? According to the Catechism, faith comes from the Holy Spirit who works it in the heart by the preaching of the gospel. However, if you were to ask a child the question, who gave him or her their faith, what do you think he or she would say? Would a child say to you that he learned all about God because he heard two sermons every Sunday? That's most unlikely, isn't it? Children, especially small children, do not understand a lot of the preaching. They may pick up something here and there, but when it comes right down to it, they don't quite get it yet. And what about you and me as adults? Indeed, the Lord uses certain means, which are the preaching, the sacraments, and discipline, as we just read. But there is a lot more to it, isn't there? Our faith does not come like lightning falling out of the sky. It pleases God to use many ways to bring us to faith. And he also uses our sinful men to administer those means. And that's what I want to preach to you about this afternoon. It's about the human ways, the human means by which the Holy Spirit creates and strengthens faith. So the human means by which the Holy Spirit creates and strengthens faith. And he uses, we will see, in the first place, human relationships. the second place, sinful people. And the third place, ordinary reminders. How did you come to faith? Think about your own childhood. Unless you came to faith as an adult, you will have received your faith through your parents. They teach you in words and in song that you are a child of God and that you belong to him. You learn to sing songs to that effect. Jesus loves me. Yes, I know, for the Bible tells me so. They sing to their children, and they teach them to pray, right? They do that already when they're little babies. Isn't that right, children? I think especially the small children in this congregation. When you were very small, you already had to fold your hands and say, Amen, after the prayer, didn't you? And now that you're a little older, you have to say your own little prayer after your dad's or your mom's prayer, Right? You also have to show that you understand some of the Bible reading by repeating the last word or by answering some simple questions. And what about when you do something wrong? What happens? Well, then your parents discipline you, don't they? Why do they do that? Well, because they love you and they want you to live a holy life before God. And in all these things, you learn about God, don't you? You also go to school. At least when you're five or six years old, you start going to school. And I'm sure you're looking forward. Well, maybe not yet, but you will be looking forward to going to school in September again. And there the teacher tells you Bible stories. The teacher tells you about God and all the things that God has done in the past. 
That's also how you learn about God. Right? But your parents and your teachers do not just tell you about God's word, do they? They also live in accordance with God's word. They do their best to show you what it means to live like a Christian. They are compassionate and kind and loving. They're there to serve you and to serve you to the best of their ability. If they only talked to you and for the rest they ignored you and didn't do anything for you, well, then their words wouldn't mean anything, would they? But what about us as adults? Is it only through the preaching that we receive faith and that our faith is strengthened? No. We especially come to know about God through the relationships that we have. The relationships that we have with other godly people. Look at how that happened with Paul and the congregations that he established all over the world. The passage of Acts, which we just read together, we read about the farewell message that Paul gave to the Ephesian elders, and then he summarizes their past relationship. Most important thing was the gospel, yes, indeed. But he reminds them also of how they got to know each other, how he came there in great humility, and how he suffered to the point of tears. He also reminds them of his conduct among them, that he did not covet anybody's silver or gold or clothing, and that in every way he served the weak among them. It was in this way that they learned to trust Paul and even to love him. If he had not conducted himself with such integrity and with such unselfishness, the gospel would not have found fertile ground among them. Without such a deeply rooted relationship, he wouldn't have gotten anywhere in the preaching of the gospel, would he? It was a relationship that was based on love and respect and sacrifice, and that's why he wasn't able to make inroads in those congregations. It was a it was based on a true desire to serve others. Paul didn't come to Ephesus for personal gain, whether material or otherwise. He didn't go there to become rich or to become admired or to become famous or anything like that. No, he went there for unselfish reasons. And in this way, he mimicked what the Lord Jesus did. For that's also how the Lord Jesus established relationships. When he began his public ministry, he did so through the fellowship that he established, first of all, with the 12 apostles. He ministered to them with great love and care and understanding and compassion. He would not have gotten anywhere if he had stayed aloof from his creation. And if he did not establish relationship with the people on earth. For how do you establish relationship? Well, you do that by giving, by serving, not yourself, but others. 
just like the Lord Jesus did. He says that he came to serve and not to be served and to give his life as a ransom for many. One of the most profound statements in the whole Bible. I think it's in Mark 10, verse 45. It's also in Matthew. You see, brothers and sisters, that's what Christianity is all about. It is through loving relationships that God creates faith. And such relationships are established and maintained not just through words, but especially also through deeds, through words and actions, we build trust. For what is faith, after all? Faith is putting your trust in something or someone. Faith in God is putting your trust in him. And you can only trust him if you know him to be trustworthy. If he has earned your trust. Now the problem is that we are sinful. And that's why we're also skeptical. In the world around us, everything is not the way it seems. When someone tells you something about him or herself, then you don't necessarily believe that person right away. For people like to embellish their contributions and their worth, they lie and they make mistakes. And they say one thing and they do another. That's a big one. And so we think about God and his claims in the same way. That's our tendency. Is it really true that he created all things and that he did it in six days? Is it really true that he's a loving God and that he does not want anyone to come to harm? Is that what the evidence around us tell us? And so we need convincing evidence. We need assurance. It's understandable. And God gives it to us. Plenty of it. But Satan sows doubt. Our own sinful condition hampers our ability to see his hand in all things. And therefore we need that evidence and that assurance time and again. And so he does not only give us the evidence, but he also gives us that covenant relationship of love. As a matter of fact, that's first. It's all about relationships. He does not come to us in some abstract way, but he comes to us in a very intimate way. Do you need evidence that God cares for his creation? Well, the Lord Jesus Christ came from heaven to heal those who are afflicted. He healed the lame and those with terrible diseases. And he lifted the sins from those who were weighed down by them. And that's how he came to establish a relationship with his disciples. And that's also how he establishes his relationship with you and me. If he were not a loving God, and if we did not experience his love, then we would not believe in him. Then we would not have faith. And if your children do not experience God's love through you as parents, 
Well, then they might not believe in God either because children see God through their parents. If you are cold and unforgiving and you hold all kinds of grudges and you talk badly about other people's, you have little or no compassion for others, then whatever you say about God is not going to have the desired impact. You can only create faith through loving relationships. And for that reason, it is so important that children also experience stable and faithful relationships. It is through healthy relationships that God creates faith in the hearts of his people. But as I said, those relationships are human, sinful relationships. The problem is that we are such sinful people. It's the second point. It is true that the Holy Spirit creates faith through the preaching of the gospel. And that, no doubt, is the primary means. That's what Paul says, too, when he speaks to the Ephesian elders. It is especially through the preaching. But the preaching had the context of the relationship. And that's also what Paul says to the Romans. He speaks there about the importance of the preaching. He says to them in Romans 10 verse 14, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they, of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And Peter says in 1 Peter 1 verse 23, You have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. And then he adds in verse 25, and this word is the good news that was preached to you. So the primary means in which God communicates to us is indeed through the preaching. That's foremost. But who does the preaching? Sinful men. He used such a man as Paul. It's quite effective. But he was effective in spite of who he was. He had committed some horrible sins. And he had many limitations. For example, he was not an eloquent speaker. That's what he says about himself in 1 Corinthians 2. He writes there in verse 1. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. And further in verse 4, he says that his message and his preaching were not with persuasive words. He makes no apologies for that. Not that Paul has anything against eloquence. Of course not. God's word needs to be clear and needs to be, pra- needs to be preached with passion and seal. But that wasn't the primary thing. What is the primary thing? To proclaim Jesus Christ... And him crucified. Everything else is secondary. And the preacher has to make that the central point in every message that he brings. And yet there is such a human element in it, isn't there? I don't have to tell you that. The preaching never does total justice to the greatness of God. It's done with the human quirks of the minister who sometimes mispronounces words, or whose sentence structure is not always as perfect as it could be, 
or he is repetitious at times. Sometimes there are unnecessary additions and glaring omissions. Different ministers have different gifts. Some have strong and clear voices, others weak and grating voices. Some speak with an accent. Others have difficulty communicating in a concise way using big words and long sentences. And not every preacher can dig as deep as the other either. It all could be so much better, couldn't it? It's all so human. Isn't that also true, though, of the way that we listen? The one person understands more than the other. And sometimes we do not even hear correctly. Our minds wander. We get sleepy. We also have different preferences as to the kind of style of preaching from the various ministers. Also, that is so human. And what about the other two elements mentioned here in the Catechism, Baptism and the Lord's Supper? We do not use it exactly in the way that God intends it for us, do we? Do we really grasp the deep significance of baptism and the Lord's Supper? When you came to the Lord's Supper this morning, did you prepare yourself properly? Did you really think seriously enough about your sins and your shortcomings? And did you meditate properly on and understand the depth of the meaning of the forgiveness of sins through the blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Of course, we understand some of it. It's not as if we're blind and dumb. But really, there is so much imperfection surrounding the preaching and the listening and everything that goes along with it. We're sinful people. But the great miracle is that God uses sinful people. That's how he has ordained it. But that is frequently such a stumbling block for us. We have such difficulty dealing with the humanness of it all. God created us in relationships, but our relationship with God and each other are broken because of sin. For that reason, the relationship between children and parents are also far from perfect. Parents aren't always loving or reliable, are they? Sometimes they say one thing and they do another. They can be harsh and demanding. And yet, God entrusts his word to the parents. And by and large, brothers and sisters, boys and girls, we are very blessed in our relationship, aren't we? The relationships found here in the members of this church are relatively stable. For sure, they're not perfect. Husbands and wives do fight and have their difficulties. Sometimes even marriages break up. These things happen also in our midst, but it's nothing like in the world. Do you know why that is? It is because God always brings us back to a relationship with him and also, therefore, to a relationship with each other. You and I, we have learned to forgive and forget and to be humble, not to have a record of wrongs. As it says in 1 Corinthians 13, 
That is what love is. Love is not keeping a record of wrongs. We believe in the renewal of all things, including the the relationship, the renewal of the relationship with God and with each other. We know that we are not allowed to be in broken relationships. God also uses sinful men as preachers. He uses them in spite of their sins. Thank God. For the ministers of the word are not always as faithful as they should be. They don't necessarily practice what they preach. They're not always loving and kind and compassionate. They will use people. They will look for praise and for other rewards. Those sinful human qualities challenge the faith of those being preached to. It makes us difficult. It makes it difficult for us to believe through people. And some will also walk away because of the sins that they see in their parents or their siblings or friends or the elders in the church or the minister. Who wants to do who wants to have anything to do with such sinful people? I'm gonna walk away from them or ignore them. But the problem is that they ignore their own sins. They think that they are better than others. And they don't see God's hand in all this. We forget that God has placed fathers and mothers and ministers in their office in spite of their sins. Not, of course, that now they are allowed to use that as an excuse for bad behavior and to abuse you and to say and do whatever they want. No, parents... And elders are held accountable to God. We're all held accountable to God. It's true of office bearers and especially of those who do the preaching. They're held to a higher standard. God has placed them all in their office. And we must therefore also honor them. It doesn't mean that they should take such honor for granted for themselves. No. For they have to do Hard work to make God's word as clear as possible and palatable. Look at how hard Paul worked. He was diligent. And the minister of the word has to be diligent in his work of service. That's how Paul served. And that's how every minister has to serve. A minister cannot just serve God's people through the preaching. It also has to be through the relationship with God's people. Think about Paul, how we cried and how we rejoiced and how we interacted with them. But you also have a responsibility in that regard to those whom God has placed in your path, your brothers and sisters. Parents, teachers, and preachers, all of us, we have to try to be the best that we can be. But not because of the demands and the rules but always because of the relationship. Although weak and full of flaws, we're all instruments in God's hand to make his work, his word alive. His word alive to all those whom God places on our path. And that's also how you have to see them. Be aware of your own human weaknesses, 
which always wants to focus on what is wrong rather than on what is right. For you see, that's what Satan wants you to do. Satan wants you to see the weakness of those who bring God's word. And he does not want you to see your own weaknesses and your own sins and your own faults. He does not want you to make allowances for the weakness of the human flesh of others. The Lord God, however, wants to use sinful people to bring his word. Even though there are so many things that get in the way, human things. But because of these human things, we need reminders of what God is doing through sinful people. That's our third point. God knows our weaknesses. And he knows that we do not just need the preaching, but also other things such as reminders of his great love. Not so much because we are forgetful, but because we tend to want to ignore them or to downplay the importance of the relationship that we have with him and his people. Article 17 of the Canons of Dort tells us about the importance of the gospel and our need to be instructed in it. But as the article states further, the marks of the church are not just the preaching, but also the use of the sacraments and the exercise of biblical discipline. Those are the means he uses in order not only to bring us to faith, but also to maintain us in that faith. And so we are told that those who give or receive instruction in the church should not neglect the sacraments and the admonitions. How do you keep physically alive? Through food and drink, right? And you need a variety of food and drink. You will not stay alive by only eating cookies. Maybe some of your children would like that, but you won't last. You won't grow up. You'll get sick. And you don't just eat steak either. You also need fruits and vegetables and milk and other staples. Those are the means God uses to sustain our lives. But what about our spiritual life? Well, you also need a variety of spiritual food. And it has to be solid food, good food. And it has to be handed out in a loving and caring way. When you are physically hungry, then you feel it. You feel faint. Your stomach starts growling. You might even get sick. There are reminders that you need to eat. You have those natural physical reminders. However, that's not necessarily the way it is with spiritual food. And that is because of our sinfulness. Too often we think that we can do without God and the relationship that he has established. We think that we can ignore him. And that's why he gives us reminders. First of all, through the admonishments. Parents will admonish their children when they do something wrong, especially within the spiritual realm. That is part and parcel of the relationship that they have with their child. Through the words and rituals that are set up in the home, the reading of the Bible at the table, and through the bringing of their children to church, parents establish a certain pattern. When children do not follow that pattern, then they are reminded and admonished. They are also reminded when they do something wrong which goes against God's word. And God also uses those admonishments and that kind of discipline in order to keep us within that relationship that he has established. And that's why he also instituted the sacraments. This morning, 
we could be reminded of what our relationship with God is all about when we celebrated the Lord's Supper. We had a visible reminder of what the central message of the gospel is. And you know what that central message is, don't you? That God wants to be glorified through the union that he has created. Everything points to that. Everything points to the union with God and the union with one another. The preaching of the word and the sacraments are called the means of grace. Those are the means that God uses to strengthen us in our faith. But you have to use them. You have to listen to the preaching. You have to partake of the sacraments. Or else you will spiritually die. Just like you will die physically if you do not eat. There are so many more elements to this. Because of our humanness, we need to look at these things and experience these things from so many different angles. And we do forget. And for that reason, the preaching comes to you time and again and the sacraments. God wants you to continue, wants to continually remind you of the loving relationship that he has established with you and me. Without that relationship of love, we would be dead. And so stay alive, brothers and sisters, and allow that relationship to flourish through the preaching and the administration of the sacraments. Amen.